When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. It is Thursday, December 15th, 2022, 10 days from Christmas, and just three days from my 30th birthday. Retroactively, I turned 30 on Monday. Thank you for your well wishes. I can hear them all the way from here. Um, Yeah, 30 years old. It's amazing that I first met some of you who are listening to this podcast when I was 23, that's when I started on WEI, Kirk and Callahan. And I feel like WEI, now Odyssey, has been such a big part of my 20s, or now I should say was such a big part of my 20s, now that I am in my 30s. Um, I've worked here in some capacity for most of my working life. Really, uh, I started EEI full-time in January of 2017. I left in summer 2019 for a brief period, and then I came back in this role in March of 21. And here I am today, one and a half years later. So yeah, pretty pretty funny when you think of it in that way. But one thing I did tweet and one thing that I would like to say about turning 30, and this is maybe a bit schmaltzy, but bear with me for five seconds. It's my 30th. It's a time to be reflective. Um, As I've aged, I've learned that the most important thing in life is surrounding yourself with a great community. I used to think it was professional aspirations. I used to think it was what you could accomplish on the radio or how many reads a certain column gets. And that stuff is all important and it's good. And it's great to want to strive, uh, you know, to achieve to achieve success professionally. But uh, you can't have that get in the way of everything else, including uh, building your own community and your own personal happiness. So that's a lesson that I've learned. I think I've built a great one, friends, family. And uh, on that note, I want to say a few words here at the top about a couple changes made at WEI. Um, Lou Merloni, Mike Manansky leaving the station as full-time hosts. Um, You know, one thing about Mutt, I will say, is I worked with him uh, so many times during my first run at the station on the morning show, nights, filling in, doing whatever. you know, in a business full of backstabbers and weirdos, Mutt is a genuinely good guy. So great, so easy to work with, and just so nice. You know, always just friendly, a positive demeanor. And as I said, just a pleasure to just a pleasure to work with. Whenever you were working with Mutt, you knew it would be a nice, easy, good time. And I'd walk away from the studio feeling good about myself, which is the best thing you can say about working with somebody. Um, You know, and even in the years since, he's always helped me with a quote. If I need something for the media column, he used to come on my CBS overnight radio show when I filled in doing that uh, during 20 and 21. He did this podcast a few months ago as well. Whenever I asked him, Mutt always made it happen. 
great guy who everyone likes. And as a result, he's made so many connections in this city, in this business. I think he'll be fine. I look forward to keeping in touch and seeing what he does next. So yeah, just want to say a word or a minute or two about the mutt man there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But now moving on to our matters here, our matters of the day on the sports media mayhem. It sounded like mayhem at times in the Monday night booth with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, because I think Aikman was ready to charge down to the field and take care of Matt Patricia himself. I mean, I really do. I mean, when was the last time that you heard a national broadcaster lay into the Patriots like Troy Aikman did on Monday night. Now, on last week's show, I spent some time talking about miserable Hal Michaels and how he, just the disdain that he had in his voice for the Patriots and mismanaging their timeouts at the end of that first half, basically giving up in the second half, just the amount of disdain that Al Michaels had for what he was seeing on the field was quite palpable. Um, but Aikman was more upfront. I mean, Aikman laid right into the Patriots at the start of the game and then never really relented. Uh, the highlight here was early in the third quarter where the Patriots shockingly couldn't get the play in. They're forced to call timeout. Mac Jones screams the F word on his way back to the bench, much like he screamed the F word last week, telling Patricia or nobody in particular, but I think Patricia, throw the effing ball, short game effing sucks. Well, F-bomb again for Mac Jones on Monday Night Football this week after the Patriots couldn't get the play in on time. And then Joe Buck coming in for break says, you talked about the, says the frustration bubbling up again for Mac Jones, hard to blame him. And then Aikman says, I certainly get it. You've got to believe the plays are coming in. They've had to delay a game as quickly as you would like. Being an offensive coordinator is a tough job. In fact, I've always felt it's the hardest job on any staff, Aikman said. It's more than just calling plays. Part of it is getting a group of players to buy in, and you can tell the confidence is waning, especially with this young quarterback. That's pretty black and white right there. Troy Aikman saying on Monday Night Football, that Matt Patricia is failing at being an offensive coordinator slash offensive play caller. It's the hardest job on any staff, Aikman says. And you can tell the confidence is waning, especially with this young quarterback. And they don't blame him. They don't blame him. I mean, what a turn of events this has been. Because Bill Belichick, and rightfully so, always gets the benefit of the doubt on these national broadcasts, even in 2020 and 2021, when the Patriots were limping through, struggling against good competition, you know, many of the same things that we're seeing repeat themselves this season. Belichick still had that that mystique and aura. He still did, even with, you know, noodle arm Cam Newton, who can't even throw the balls five yards down the field, even with Newton, 
at the end of that dismal COVID 2020 season, Belichick still had that mystique and aura. But now, three years post-Brady, the Patriots still limping along around 500, middle of the pack. It's all gone. And if you want your definitive proof of that, go back and listen to the commentary from Troy Aikman on Monday night. Everybody's catching up. The Patriots are the Patriots in name only at this point. Last Thursday against Buffalo, fumbling their timeouts at the end of the first half. Al Michaels, so disgusted, called it very un-New England-like. And then at the end of the first half, Monday night, Mac Jones, a 30-yard strike to Hunter Henry. So naturally, what does Patricia call next? A failed run up the middle, a delayed handoff. The uninspired play resulted in an uninspired effort as Mac Jones and rookie running back Kevin Harris fumbled the exchange. Patriots lost yards on the play. Then their only option was to kick a field goal. And Joe Buck says, odd play, odd play call. <laughs> Just like exactly, exactly how he would dismiss something that Cliff Kingsbury did on the other side. Because the Patriots right now, yeah, they're a better operation than the Cardinals. But look at the quarterbacks they've beaten this year. I mean, Kyler Murray got hurt, third play of the game, torn ACL. So you beat a 37-year-old Colt McCoy, Sam Ellinger, Zach Wilson twice, Mitch Trubisky, Jacoby Brissett, the, uh, Jared Goff. Jared Goff is the only starting quarterback who the Patriots have beaten this year. And I'm not sure if they would beat Jared Goff if they got him this time, if they got him this month, because the Lions are hot now, and they're on the outside of the NFC playoff picture looking in. But really, they're the Patriots in name only. And when everybody is saying something, and I mean everybody, you know it must be true. Ex-quarterbacks who watched this offense are offended. Pun kind of intended. Uh, Kurt Warner saying last week he'd be bored to death playing quarterback here. Uh, Peyton Manning had his Manning cast on Monday night as Troy Aikman was laying into Matt Patricia and Buck was making snide remarks about the Patriots play calling. Aikman was throwing up his hands in exasperation when Mac Jones and Kevin Harris fumbled that handoff exchange. You know, it's too bad we won't get another Tony Romo game. I think Romo called one game this year. It was that Packers game when Mac Jones got hurt and Zappi came in and the Patriots took them to overtime. But I'd be very curious, maybe against the Dolphins, Bills down the stretch here, if there are playoff implications for the Patriots. I'd be very curious to have uh, Tony Romo on another call just to see what he would say about this sad, despondent, jumbled offense. And there's no lying. We've seen it. On primetime, two straight weeks, Mac Jones exploding, exploding at Matt Patricia, at Joe Judge, at whomever on the Patriots staff. F-bombs left and right. He's a 23, 24-year-old quarterback, and he's doing this, and everybody notices because these blowups are happening on national TV. It may still seem like an antiquated concept with red zone and streaming and social media. What's the difference? 
everybody sees everything anyway. Well, yes and no. Yes, everybody sees everything anyway, but everybody doesn't see everything unfolding in real time. And there still is no audience quite like the Sunday night football, Monday night football, primetime audience. It's on ESPN, so they're going to set the agenda for the rest of their week with those moments. A lot of these national analysts, that's all they can watch, the national games, and they get highlights elsewhere. So there are two indelible images of Mac Jones and the Patriots offense this season are effing throw the ball, short game effing sucks, and him screaming the F word after the Patriots couldn't get a play in at the start of the third quarter Monday night. Those are the indelible images of this Patriots season so far. And they happened on prime time. So I said last week on the show that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman may be not quite as upset and upsets the wrong word, not quite as disgusted as Al Michaels at these horrible primetime games the NFL has given us at various points this season, most specifically on Thursday and Monday nights. But (laughs) Troy Aikman saying at the end of Patriots Cardinals, we've seen a lot of bad football this season. I think this is supposed to be pro football. Uh, Yeah, Aikman makes (laughs) more than well north of $10 million per year to call one NFL game per week. And the product is so bad, he's openly crapping on it. So think about that. But hey, we're still watching. We're still watching. Um, The Manning cast has not gotten quite as much pub this year because Buck and Aikman, complaints aside, are a far better booth than the Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Lewis Riddick trio ESPN was running out last season. But I did tune into the Manning cast. I DVR'd it because that's what I do. I talk about it. I write about it. So couple notes from that. Adam Vinatieri, I think, was so great. And the perfect example of somebody who is so funny because they're not trying at all. He shows up in like, shows up in dirty. It's not athleisure. That's giving it too much credit. That implies some sort of sense of style, fashion, you know, Lululemon, you know, my nice, I have Jed North sweatpants, really nice. You know, that's athleisure, Under Armour even. You know, this was just, you know, random sweats. <laughs> and he said he's never watched the Manning cast out in Vinatieri because he doesn't have cable. He has an HD antenna. So I love that. And Bill Simmons was on the Manning cast as well. I believe that was Simmons' first appearance on an ESPN platform since leaving years ago. I think though Simmons was on there for a reason and not just because he's a Patriots fan. I think Simmons was on there because look for it. Maybe as soon as these upcoming NBA playoffs uh, ESPN to try and do some site, some type of Manning cast for the NBA. And I think Bill Simmons, if they're in the mood to work with each other, I think Bill Simmons would be the number one host for that kind of show. Biggest name in basketball commentary. He could do it with Rosillo. I'm assuming Rosillo would be fine doing some stuff with ESPN again, too. They could bring on some other ringer characters, some other online basketball people who all converse with each other. And I think it could be a really entertaining watch for a large section 
of NBA fans, especially, well, maybe not large section, but a, a, a sizable enough section to make it worth ESPN's while to do some sort of alternative cast led by Simmons. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. I do not have any inside info, but it's something that I uh, picked up. Do want to spend a few minutes now on, uh, well, I think one of the more shocking stories in sports media this year, that's for sure. Uh, Grant Wall, longtime sports writer for Sports Illustrated, wrote that great LeBron feature cover story in 2002 when LeBron was a senior in high school. Most recently, he covered soccer for Sports Illustrated. He left SI at the start of the pandemic due to uh, issues he had with their pandemic-induced pay cuts. So definitely a guy who stood up for what was right, uh, but he had such a large following. He started his own podcast, Substack, covered soccer, and enjoyed tremendous success up until his shocking death uh, over the weekend in Qatar covering the final stages of the World Cup. Uh, Grant Wall passed out in the press box, so eerie, People were listening to a podcast he had recorded that day. I mean, he had an Instagram story that was up after he had died because he was working that day. So unexpected. He had complained of some cold-like symptoms and feeling run down in the weeks leading up to his death. But he attributed that to poor sleep, working late, covering games, travel, etc. Um, so the autopsy came in Wednesday morning. Grant Wall died of an undetected uh, erotic aneurysm. His wife is an infectious disease expert. She released the information, and she also wrote this on his Substack. And this was necessary to write because there's been a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding Grant Wall's death. Quote, his death was unrelated to COVID. His death was unrelated to vaccination status. There was nothing nefarious about his death. She writes, Celine Downer. So that's necessary because, as I said, sadly, disgustingly, there's been a bevy of conspiracy theories surrounding Wall's passing. His brother, Eric, suspected there was foul play in his death. And by the way, I'm not including Eric Wall with these other conspiracies because Eric is Grant's brother, gay brother. Actually, Grant Wall, you may know, wore an LGBTQ rainbow shirt his first day covering the World Cup in Qatar and was detained and turned away from the press box because he was wearing that shirt. So Eric Wall speaks out immediately after the news broke, tweeting, I'm the reason he wore the rainbow shirt to the World Cup. My brother was healthy. He told me he received death threats. I do not believe my brother just died. I believe he was killed. And I just beg for any help. Wow. Strong statements from Eric Wall. Um, he's been tweeting and posting since then. Obviously accepts the autopsy findings, but I mean, that's just really brutal. A brother grieving out there, out in the open. And he, Eric Wall, received death threats as well. Just so disgusting, so gross. You have these vaccine conspiracies around Grant Wall as well. I mentioned his wife, Celine Gounder, is a top infectious disease expert. She was part of the Biden administration's COVID-19 team. And as a result, you have all these anti-vaxxers, these conspiracy theorists saying that Grant Wall's death was because of the COVID vaccine. 
you know, retweeting a photo he posted in April of 2021 with his first vaccination card, mocking him for it. Can't even, it's not even worth insulting. Just, it's not even just that how low that behavior is. But, you know, I think one thing that'll say overall about Grant Wall and some of these just really abhorrent conspiracies is you do ask yourself, and we're getting a bit existential here, but bear with me. You do ask yourself, why do conspiracy theories flourish? And because we are a conspiracy laden society. I mean, I learned about conspiracies about the JFK assassination in public high school. (laughs) I mean, they talk about, oh, what are we indoctrinating our kids with? In my high school, and at least one history class, it was JFK, JFK conspiracy theories. And by the way, it is true. Lee Harvey Oswald was not a single actor. But anyway, um, a lone actor, I should say. He was not a lone actor. But anyway, um, why? Because they give us, in some ways, a comforting explanation for what otherwise seems inexplicable. And you know, I think that it's a lot easier in some instances to think that there's some secret cabal or some well laid out, you know, really subtle conspiracy theory because the reality is really stark. And the reality here is Grant Wall, by all accounts, was a healthy 48 year old man who, yes, worked long hours and had a cold and felt run down as a result of it covering the World Cup. But 48 years old, healthy man, working, and then dies suddenly in the press box. Another reporter says he was laughing at a tweet just minutes before he went backwards and passed out. I mean, and if you just, and if that's just what happened and the autopsy says it is, that's what happened, no foul play involved, no conspiracy. Man, that's hard to accept. Is it not that you can be healthy in 48 and just that's it? And you can have the rare condition that you didn't know about prior that wasn't causing symptoms at any previous point in your life? Yeah. Vaccine conspiracy theories, in a lot of ways, is easier to wrap your head around. Wow. Closing out the show here on a quick note, and before I go further, I want to put it up front. I'm a Boston guy, so an anti-New York bias is kind of entrenched in me. And I say that because the New York Post reported this week that ESPN reached out to Mike Francesa about doing some sort of Mike and the Mad Dog reunion with Chris Mad Dog Russo on first take. Chris Russo has been appearing on First Take once a week for a while, debating with Stephen A. Their segments used to go viral all the time. Haven't seen as much of them recently. Maybe hasn't even been on as much recently. But for a while, this spring, summer, Chris Russo, Stephen A, First Take once a week. And apparently ESPN reached out to Mike Francesa around that time, wanting him to surprise Stephen A and Chris Russo with a Mike and the Mad Dog reunion And Francesa basically confirmed that to New York Post earlier this week. And I say, look, you know, as a sports talk radio geek, I appreciate Mike and the Mad Dog. I watched the Mike and the Mad Dog. I devoured the Mike and the Mad Dog 30 for 30. 
it was a revolutionary sports talk radio show. But Mike and the Mad Dog last aired in 2008. Okay? We are now 14 years removed, almost 15 years removed from the last Mike and the Mad Dog show. I think it's just time to move on. I mean, we've done so many reunions and yeah, famously, they're not on the best terms and they never were really on the best terms and they wanted to do their own shows and Russo's on Sirius XM. Mike, of course, stayed at the fan for many, many years and they had success on their own as well, but it wasn't quite what they were together. And, but we've done it. We've done Francesa Con. We've done impromptu segments. We've done reunions. More Mike and the Mad Dog reunions. And do we really need in 2023? I mean, can't we elevate different voices now? I know for nostalgic purposes, there is a section of New York sports fans and New York media people and the media runs through New York, that New York bias. So I understand they're the people making decisions on a lot of these top media companies, and I'll include ESPN, probably listened to Mike and the Mad Dog growing up when they were younger in their early working years. They really identify with that show. Mike in Boston, we identify with the big show, other legendary programs here on EEI. So, you know, I understand that there's probably a large subsection of media execs who are all about Mike and the Mad Dog and can't get enough of Mike and the Mad Dog. And a reunion, yeah, it'd be cute. It'd go viral. And maybe that's all they wanted, a one-time thing. But anything regular, I think I don't think we need it anymore. I don't. Elevate some new voices, diverse voices. And ESPN, to its credit, does do a really good job of that. Um, but yeah, when I read that piece this week, I said, eh, really? And there was a time when even me, and again, I'm not a New Yorker, so I understand. My perspective is different. But there was a time when even I, would have been pretty damn excited, I think. Mike and the Mad Dog first take, but now I think we've seen it already. So that's my take on that. But hey, if they come back, I'll enjoy their banter. Who wouldn't? We're all geeks in the end. But thank you for listening to another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem Podcast. As always, download, listen, rate, subscribe to the show. We are available. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. There will be a show next week. Yes, I will have a show for you next week through the holiday season. So, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can do that as well. My Twitter handle is at AlexDreamer1. Talk to you next time.